Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Buddy. Hello, Buddy. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a bloke who sometimes yells about Josie Mourinho, Nathan <laughs> A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Uh, how did you arrive at that one, Chris? Well, well, did I arrive at it, or did, did AI arrive at it? Uh, so, one of our ex-subs, Abby, I mean, I'm going to say my favourite ex-sub mm. now, after this, Top Abby. five, easily. Yeah, top one for me. Yeah, there's no. This is cemented Abby's place at the top of my list. Um, Abby pulled out all of the intros that we've ever given Nathan, and the ones before we started doing that, um, and then created an app which generates uh, intros based upon those we've already done, and also a randomly generated one, which is kind of gobbledygook, which is amusing as well. And these are going to be put eventually on our website. It's sensational work. Uh, there's a, there's another banger that's going to come out. Um, I'll, I'll save it for a little further down the line because it's so good. Um, but thank you, Abby. That was an amazing, amazing gesture. And I love it. I love everything you've done with it. Um, 
Let's start off with this from Dan Alvarez, another patron. Nathan, Dan says, can you all say a bunch of really mean stuff about Jose? Would really appreciate it. Uh, I would like you actually to ask this question to Bardi first. Go on, Bardi. Talk, talk dirty about your manager. That was not the behaviour of my manager last <laughs> night. That was that was a, it was a mess, and it's, it's one of those um, one of those defeats that leave you searching for something. And I I just came up empty. I yeah, I just came up empty. I'm one of those games where I'm thankful I wasn't at the stadium. I love going to watch football. I love it. I love everything about it. But I I was so happy I could turn off my <laughs> turn off my iPad with a few minutes to go because. That's that's what he left me. He he destroyed Tottenham for me last night. But I'm back. Tottenham's back, and I still have faith in my manager because oh I've got nothing. I got nothing else in my life to hold on to right now, Wendy. <laughs> so I'm holding on to. He'll turn this around. But it's um it's an empty hope. I'm dangling from the cliff with with my nails are digging in. I'm just not even yeah. I'm that guy from EastEnders who went to cliffhanger. You know that actor <laughs> who was in cliffhanger and he ended up falling off the cliff. I reckon that's me. <laughs> I um I definitely noticed a change in you last night, Bardi. I know you'd had a drink, but you were pretty upset with how it all went. You were you were not pleased. There were decisions that were made throughout the match that were peculiar, and there was performances throughout the match which were which were I don't know they were negligent. They were if they were other professionals other than footballers, you'd be ringing an ob- ombudsman <laughs> asking them what <laughs> what are you doing? You have down you're a professional goalkeeper and you'll play like that you're the french captain you, this is a lie dire we'll get into all of this anyway let's start we're gonna start a pod now i've said bad things this, this i how mean broken i am we, we are the ombudsman we are basically points of view you're literally on points of view for football so um yeah, yeah let's let's get tucked into it um we'll start where we always do team selection so nathan uh, I guess no major surprise that we played three four three, but were you surprised about the personnel? Uh, well, I got the lineups wrong on, on Twitter when I was trying to do it. I'm surprised. Basically, what I do is I read eleven names, try to memorize all of them, and then put them into my little graphics. So I'm surprised I've never <laughs> got it horribly wrong before. Uh, so for some reason, I thought Regulon was Stein, but um. No, given his absence, it's kind of not that shocking the way we went with it. Um, I, I said that I didn't think we would play a back three, and I was wrong about that, but um, I, I think that given the relationship between playing a back three and Ndombele being deeper and the need to some have someone you know that technical as early in position as possible, I see that's always the case, but it's especially the case against Liverpool. I think that kind of makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, there wasn't people say, "Oh, just play Davies; he's a left back at the left or left back, etc." Um, but there wasn't like there wasn't a right way to set up the team given the personnel available. Like I, for every bit of criticism that I do have for Jose Mourinho, I don't think that it was like just do the simple and obvious correct team lineup situation at all. Um, this is always going to be a tough one to get right, and we were never really likely to do all that well against Liverpool. Um, that for me is not the issue. It's it's um it's the way in which we lost. It's the way in which we played. It's our complete lack of um alternative ways to play. I guess but there you go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, no, I I agree with a lot of what you say. And uh, if I may, just make one point about the sort of Davis selection. Hmm. Now we know that Regalon is going to miss three weeks or so. Ben, we know that Ben Davis is going to have to play a lot of football at left back. Yeah. So so for me. Choosing to play him as left centre-back 
felt quite wasteful. It felt as though, you know, save, save the minutes he's going to get for when he needs to play left back because we don't have an alternative. So what I'm saying is either play him at left back or don't play him at all. You know, if we're going to play him at left centre back, just play Toby, for God's sake. Play Sanchez, play anyone else. Well, okay, so here is Mourinho's thinking. He he feels he needs to play a back three in order to play Ndombele deeper, which is obviously a good thing. We, we're all in support of Ndombele playing deeper. And in order to play a, a back three... In his view, he has to play a left-footed centre-back in the left-sided role, which only really leaves Davies. Now, you can say, just play Ndombele deeper in a 4-2-3-1, and you can say, just play a right-footed player. Um, but I think it's worth exploring how we arrive at that. Hmm. see what you're saying. I still don't think it compensates for the fact that Davies is now going to have to play a, a crazy number of minutes, here, which you know is not going to be easy for him because... He's been a little in and out of the team. And, you know, don't don't get me wrong. He's played a good number of minutes this season in the Europa League, and he should be he should be sort of sharp enough to manage. But he's suddenly going to be thrust into our A team, as it were. Mm. Uh, and I don't, I don't. I think that's going to be. I think that's going to be a challenge for Ben Davis. Um, Bardi, all the talk about Ndombele playing deeper. I mean, I'm very happy to see Ndombele play deeper. But one of the benefits of Ndombele playing deeper, in fact, the main benefit of Ndombele playing deeper, is you get the ball to him, and then he can progress things. But in this match, and under Jose Mourinho generally, I would say, we're really quite poor. I think it was particularly prominent in this. We're really quite poor at distributing to our deepest midfielders from defence. We often sort of play long passes forward, and then the midfielders are left to feed off scraps, second balls, 50-50s. Uh, did you did you feel what did you think of Ndombele's performance last night and and Huibier as well? Because I if I if I sorry to jump in, but if no. I just say first, I thought they both played really well. Yeah. Like I thought they were two of the only players that played really well, but they didn't have much to work with at all. I I don't think we had too much of a problem with that up until Kane's first injury, and I I think that's when the game changed for us. I think we were doing okay when Liverpool had the ball, we dropped deep. Uh, of course we did. But we forced them to drop deep. There was plenty of occasions in the first half an hour where they had 11 men behind the ball, even though McManaman refused to see that. They were <laughs> doing, they were doing exactly the same as us. When we had us, when we were able to sustain the ball for maybe five, six, seven passes, Liverpool did exactly what we did. They dropped back and they let us have it. Um, I don't think, I didn't think there was too much of a problem. The weird thing about this is I looked at this formation and I thought we were going to win this game because I think it was the right formation. I just think the problem was the players, the individuals in those positions just had an awful, awful game. Doherty was terrible. Davies was pretty bad. And I didn't think Aurier was that bad either, but we just, at crucial moments, we didn't play how, how, how Mourinho envisioned it to happen. And that's on Mourinho as well, because he needs to change that. And you could see him getting frantic towards the, towards the end of that half. He could see what was happening and we could feel it as well. I don't think I don't think our midfield was that bad. Yes, they were outnumbered and Liverpool had plenty of the ball, but that was always going to happen. I the game changed for me when Kane's ankle went and then when his second ankle went. That was the turning point in the match. Yeah, I think I I think I largely agree with that. I, I didn't think the three four three was a problem at all in the first mm. half. You know, don't get me wrong, it's a low bar. You know, I'm not mm. I'm not saying I want Spurs to play this way, but given that Mourinho does play this way, particularly against the the, the better teams. I thought it went okay. I thought it went fine. And then we just conceded a, a stupid goal, a really stupid goal. And that essentially ruined, that undid the whole plan. That undid every aspect of the plan. It meant suddenly we've got to come out and play. And in trying to do that, as Nathan mentioned, in trying to find an alternative way to play, we looked an absolute shambles. 
I mean, I haven't seen a series of individual errors that bad since um, since AVB days. You know, it, the the goals we conceded reminded me of the the game at um, the Etihad where we got smacked by Man City that time when Lamella in Lamella's debut season, and it was just like, what are you doing? Really, what are you doing? How? Yeah, I mean, you can see I'm still confused by it now, even thinking back to it. Dyer, Lloris on that first goal. One of you take take control of that situation. The ball was bundled in from 30 centimetres. The cross from Mane wasn't whipped, wasn't pulled back. It was a it was a bubbled cross that Dyer didn't know whether to look and follow the man. He didn't know whether to mm. cover the space. He was lost. We've spoken many times about Dyer never knows what's happening behind him. And in slow motion, you see him look over his face and he's praying no one's behind him. This time there was. I thought Lloris should have come out and co- covered that cross. Alisson would have picked that up like it was a, a dropped wallet. You know, it was it was pretty bad. It was awful. We we had a question about that goal from Oregon Shane, who says it's not the first time we are caught in a moment of silence between Lloris and the centre-back. While Dyer is not our long-term centre-back, our captain and keeper needs to take charge there. Do you agree? I mean, personally, I think... I mean, I think they both need to take charge in that situation. But, uh, I mean, obviously one of them does. Dyer, the thing with defending in, in those situations is if you have any doubts at all, you just deal with it. You know, and then quite often in football, you'll see a goalkeeper and a centre-back looking at each other and be like, I, I didn't know what to do, so I just dealt with it. I just I just put it out for a corner. But that's what you do. And then you have an inquest later. Uh, they both left it. They literally chose to leave it to one another. That was a choice they had. And it ended up in the back of it. And it was really, really frustrating. And Nathan, how do you feel about how the, the match went just, You know, from that point? Well, yeah, I mean, that was it. Uh, firstly, Aurelia is getting off. Scott Free for his involvement. If oh my we, god, if we yeah. Had personal blame, then he deserves an equal share. Uh, yeah. I mean, Mane got the better of him a few times, to be honest. Mane gets the better of a lot of people. Um, but the extent to which he was finding that success, that that goal was pretty obviously coming. Um, and in the end, it's a pretty simple double movement and Ori just switching off. Anyway, mm-hmm. whatever. From that point on, um, that was kind of the game I felt. Uh, yes, I think our plan and position was to send it long to Harry Kane and he had some really smart, brilliant knockdowns and first-time touches um, to help set us off on counters. And obviously, once you lose that and instead you're playing Sun up top, it's going to limit your chances. But like, that was it. That was our plan for possession and it's just so frustrating. It's so frustrating to hear Jose Mourinho shout, play some fucking football from the touchline when it's like, okay, sure, yes, that is what we need to do, but that's not what we've been doing for a year now. What's the plan? How is that a, an instruction? Um, I, of course, I've, I've long said that you shouldn't, you know, be aiming to take possession to Liverpool. There are kind of, I think, ways to go about it, but it's a very, very difficult, very challenging thing to do. Of course, playing a defensive game plan against Liverpool is the way to set up. But to have no ability, to have no plan for for how to go about it, that is that is what's so frustrating. And, and once we're behind, and it's not just Liverpool is always going to be the most extreme version of that, but generally, once we're behind, the game is over for us. And that is such such a frustrating way to watch your team play. Um, that that like <laughs> the the game is over once we've conceded, and I hate that. I hate that mm. so much. So uh, we had a question from Newman who says, are you guys at least happy we didn't sit back the entire game? Um, he adds also Dotty seems bad. <laughs> yes, Dotty. Poor, poor, poor Matt Dotty. I mean, I, the thing about Dotty, right, is 
this isn't it's not fair to judge him on what we're seeing so far this isn't what he's about it's, this isn't mm. him he's 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 being asked to fulfill a role that doesn't suit and in this game in particular he was playing on the left and he looked completely out of sorts he's also had a bad run of form looks out of sorts confidence wise he's had coronavirus don't forget that one I completely forgot he's also had coronavirus. Yeah, no, it's a really, really important point to remember. I, I think it's unfair to sort of scapegoat him at this point. You know, let's wait and see what he can offer further down the line. He's not a terrible player. We've seen him play very, very well for Wolves in the in the recent past. Uh, so let's not scapegoat Doherty too much. Uh, but, Nathan, were you at least happy we didn't sit back the entire we game? We may as well have done. Yes, that's how I felt too. <laughs> You know, we we didn't sit back because we had to attack because we were multiple goals down for you know periods of the game, um, and we we didn't make anything of it. So no, I wasn't happy that we didn't sit back the entire. If we'd sat back the entire game, that meant we would have only conceded you know a last minute <laughs> loss, and that would have been frustrating. But there you go. Uh, the conceding much earlier, having to attack and having just no ability to go about it, that that doesn't make me happy, I'm afraid. Uh, Bardi, if you, I, I don't want to make you too angry, Bardi, but if you think to the substitutions, um, so we knew Kane was going to have to go off. We didn't know that Aurier was going off. What would you have done, Bardi, at halftime? I mean, I don't know what in what universe you think Lamella is a suitable replacement <laughs> for Kane. I I don't understand that. You've got Bale. Bale is is faulty, but Bale can stand up straight. Bale, I think Bale offers more than Lamella. Um, there's, um, uh, I've even lost my train of thought. I'm v- so Vinicius. Vinicius. Vinicius as well. Put Vinicius on. Keep, Son was having some joy. He, he scored a, he scored a goal, which was ruled marginally offside. He had another opportunity. He was making, I know me and you had a discussion over how well he played. I thought he was pretty bad in link up play throughout, but he was making runs and he, he was a concern for the Liverpool defence. And at least he kept Trent Alexander Arnold honest and didn't allow him to run on so much. So I think keeping him wide would have been a better plan and then putting putting big Vinicius. At least at least then if you're gonna go long you've got a big man and he's pretty adept. He's shown he's pretty adept at linking play as well. He's not Harry Kane levels of, of linking, but he can he can make an assist. So I would have gone Vinicius or Bale. I don't understand the continued reliance upon Lamella. I think the sooner his contract expires, the better because he just he just causes a selection problem for managers. They just seem to like him so much and Runs we hard. really need to move on. He runs hard. He, you know, he he stands on some people's hands, which is all funny, <laughs> all fun and games when you're winning matches. But it's not that's not great when you're getting spanked at home. Um, eight years, man. Eight years he's been here and testimonial yeah. coming up. I know. Can you believe it? he's done eight years? It's sixteen goals in eight years. Yeah, I I don't really want to see him or Lucas play ever again. Wow. Okay. Um... <laughs> So, so I understood the logic of the substitutions when I saw literally the names. I mean, they weren't my choices. Mm. But I would have absolutely would have brought on uh, Bale for Kane as an enforced sub, and then I would have brought on Alderweireld mm. for Dotti. That's the one. Uh, I think that would have been the obvious move and move Davis out to the left. Um, but I understood why he would bring Winks on to sort of try and play through the middle and have some possession and try and link, you know, move the ball forward quicker through midfield. Uh, but I felt like he undermined that substitution by then pushing Ndombele forward. 
uh, like they needed to be together in midfield. I think it needed to be a three with Winks, Huibier and, and Dombele. And I think also with the Lamella move, if you're going to bring Lamella on for Kane, I think you just play Lamella where Kane's playing. You don't then move Son to be the sort of the central forward who's being asked to do things that we know Son doesn't do effectively. And you sort of, in my view, you kind of lost all of the impact that Son was having. Not that he was special, but he was definitely keeping Liverpool on their toes and they, mm. they were concerned about him. And at the very least, he's, he's causing Alexander-Arnold to think twice about running too far forward. Yeah. Um, so that seemed like a very strange use to me. I was massively confused by the way we set up. And then we find out after the match that there's been... <laughs> so this is how it's described by ESPN. Aurier was furious when Mourinho singled him out for criticism regarding the goal in the dressing room. Other players were also involved with Eric Dyer and Joe Roden criticised for their role in the goal. Aurier engaged in a heated exchange with Mourinho, according to ESPN sources, and when Mourinho decided to substitute him before the start of the second half, the Ivory Coast International decided to leave the stadium. Sources added that some players felt the half-time chaos in the dressing room, as well as Harry Kane's injury and the change of tactics, were among the reasons why Trent Alexander-Arnold scored just two minutes into the second half. There was a there was something visibly wrong with the team at the start of the second half. There was a, a marked drop off, and that that was we. I mean, we had Kane standing still for ten minutes, and we we did okay. But there was something wrong. I I joked it like they, you know, it was like Sunday football. They'd all had a pint at half time mm. because they went out and they just they just they just looked slow. They looked um, like they'd lost concentration, and yeah. And, and it, and it was summed up by Larissa's attempted save. I still think there's no excuse that chaos shouldn't stop your international goalkeeper from pushing the ball <laughs> behind for a corner at least or holding it. It was that was weird, but there was, there was visibly something wrong with Tottenham after half time. Uh, that's not like Sergioria. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan's catchphrase. I always like to hear that catchphrase. I think I, Serge is right. I think I, I would be yeah. upset as well if I was Serge because if he's getting singled out, like ESPN says, I, he, he was negligent. But I, I think Dyer and Larice were were more negligent. If that is even possible, if that even exists in the English language as a as a description, sure. yeah. I think I think Dyer Dyer and Hugo would have got. I would have been throwing football boots at them, not Serge for that goal. So ESPN say that Mourinho uh, singled Aurier out. There were rumours on Twitter which some people have told me are true. I don't know. I don't know what to believe. Uh, that Luis and Aurier had a, a big bust up at half time, and there was glass and ice everywhere in the dressing room. <laughs> wait, wait, why is glass in the dressing room? Like there's bare feet. I was around, wondering man. that. I was wondering that. You know, yeah. are, are they throwing like cups of ice? Against um, walls or something, I don't know. It makes you wonder. Of Perrier, bottles of Perrier water being chucked around. I don't know. I don't believe glass and ice. You know, I don't believe that. But I think um, it does make sense. You know, when, when to, to retrofit, knowing that after the game, you sort of you look back and say, yeah, something like that could easily have happened at halftime. Judging by how shook we look at the start of the second half, we were hopeless, as Bardi says. And it's not just you know, Luis obviously should do better obviously he should do better but the gaps were appearing all over the mm. place alexander arnold suddenly up playing right wing because he can and is able to just like spank one in off off Larice. so there were problems aside from um Larice's individual error and this is the problem i've got you know it's i think it's very easy for Mourinho and and everyone else just to say you know this is that purely down to individual errors but that was a catalogue of systemic errors in that second half where Liverpool were just tearing us apart you know we, we were kind of got lucky with the Firmino handball situation where that goal was ruled out um 
there were other chances they had as well. They they comprehensively destroyed us in the second half, uh, in second gear, you know, with Jordan Henderson and Nathaniel Phillips playing at centre-back. It was not good. That second half was a mess. It was a real mess. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Buddy, I see you've added something to the running order. Take us, take us through it. Yeah, Dan Kilpatrick wrote something in the Evening Standard, and I hadn't thought about this. Well, we obviously we watched the defenders, and they're, they're pretty bad. But um, he's not giving Mourinho a way out, but he is saying that our our transfer policy with regards to defenders has been awful since 2015. Essentially, apart from Region, we haven't signed a better defender since we signed Toby in 2015. And if you think about it, that that's true. We haven't improved our defence. And this is a it's, a, it's a failure of the club. It's a failure of our scouting. And it's a, it's a huge problem. And we spoke in the last podcast about where Mourinho has been, mo- been the most successful and when he's had, of course, a solid backbone, a solid team, a solid defensive team, at least. And yeah, we, we haven't we haven't signed well. We haven't bought well there. And we are paying the price for that. So on that note, Nathan, uh, we had a question from Felix Groughton who said uh, that he, he enjoyed listening to Bardi's rundown in the last podcast about the, the players Mourinho had at centre-back. So Felix says, from that I concluded that Mourinho doesn't seem to try to improve defenders who are at the club already. Instead, he'll buy an experienced defender or two in the transfer window. My question to you is, do you think this is a sustainable method, seeing as Mourinho is likely only going to be Spurs for another season or two, and we don't have the financial might of a Real Madrid or Chelsea? Would it make more sense for the club to pressure Mourinho, a coach who's supposedly good defensively, to focus on training Tanganga and Roden? Hmm. Um... I mean, there's, there's like he, he's moved Dyer back into his in the back role, and, and I think he has improved Dyer to an extent, at <laughs> least somewhat. You know, um, there was sort of the idea of Tanganga coming through, but then he's mainly played fullback minutes. Um, Roden has made his way into his team, and I will say that like I really appreciate Mourinho's comments after the match, saying that Roden played well, made a mistake, but is otherwise, you know, will be is is still. Uh, you know, back in contention again, and rightly so because I think that that Roden has sort of asserted himself over the last few weeks. Um, as as you know, watch. So there's, it's not like there's there's absolutely no positive trajectory from centre backs at all under Mourinho. Um, but yes, he's. I think there was a report recently coming out that he wants us to to sign our Van Dyke. He wants us to sign our you know world leading centre back that will transform the club. And it's like. Okay, well, first off, who who have you got in mind? <laughs> because, like, there are only so many of the very best centre-backs in the world. How are we going to be able to afford this player? 
Do you think that player is Skriniar? Um, you know. Uh, and, uh, Spoiler alert, it's not. <laughs> and it's like, how much are we needing to invest to make a style of football in which we concede 50 crosses <laughs> work for you? Like... I, yeah. I've got nothing against us investing in our centre-backs, but to specifically invest a large sum of money for the specific type of defender that Mourinho wants, yeah, I can see how there might be problems with that. Um, my mentions week after week now are filled to the brim with people blaming individual defenders, and I'm not yep. free of doing that myself. I call Aurier out on this podcast on a regular basis. I've criticised Matt Doherty. I've pointed the errors in, in Eric Dyer's game, etc., um, but I just think that it's it's an overfocus on that, uh, and it's absolving the manager of the decisions that he makes and the, the decisions that the club has made, um, and the the approach to the games and the players in front of the defenders as well. Just to say, our defenders are bad, our defenders are bad, our defenders are bad. The defenders aren't great, um, but we aren't doing enough for that. I will tell you one thing: if if Liverpool had had. Eric Dyer and Ben Davis at centre back yesterday, and we'd had Jordan Henderson <laughs> and Nathaniel Phillips. It would not have made a single bit of difference. That's a great point, Wendy. That's a great point. Mm, that is a good point. You know, this is this is the thing. If our defenders are so terrible, so absolutely abjectly awful that they are almost not worthy to be uh, Premier League footballers, why are we playing a system that requires them to make so many defensive actions in every match? Why are we encouraging teams to put crosses into the box over and over and over again? Why do we want them to be literally like on their toes for 90 minutes if they can't be trusted to do that? And that's the point. Same with Lloris. You know, I've seen a lot of criticism about Lloris from last night. As you know, Buddy, you, you stuck the boot in a bit. You weren't very impressed with him. You, in fact, I think you said you think he's finished. But <laughs> like, I feel like Lloris is, is definitely on the decline. In my view, definitely undoubtedly on the decline but it's being exposed by the system i feel like this is just it's so unhelpful to all of our all of our sort of triumvirate at the back um to play this way and then just call them out and play this way and call them out and play this way and call them out and yes you know i don't think eric dyer is great i really don't think eric dyer is a particularly good player i think he's fine i think he's like a a six out of ten maybe a seven out of ten center back but come on, you know, this is more. This is about way more than just Eric Dyer. I would challenge you on this. I think if Alisson plays for us, we, we don't concede that first goal. We don't concede the second goal and we stay in the match. I, I think I think Lloris does have a huge impact on, on how we play. I think a better goalkeeper makes those, makes those, doesn't, you know, makes a speculative, catches a speculative effort or knocks it wide or is able to play a high line. Look how often... Um, Look how often Alisson was rescuing his team when Son was on the attack. Against any other team, Son is through on goal three or four times in that match. Had that been West Ham and Fabianski, for example, Spurs are winning 3-0. I think, I think Lloris's decline is having a, a bigger impact on Tottenham than, than Eric Dyer. But that's not the reason we don't play a high line, Bardi. You know, that's, you know, that is, that's still a choice. You, I, don't think it, I don't think you can play a high line with Lloris there. I don't think there's any way Mourinho plays a high line. No, well, either way, whatever. Well, fair enough. Yes, Mourinho won't. But I don't think if you if put put Klopp in Tottenham's shoes, Klopp doesn't play a high line with Lloris. It's it's suicide. Yes, that's a fair point. I think he would definitely want to sign a new goalkeeper. What's uh, the Lloris, first thing he'd do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's as much about his distribution as as his um, sort of speed off the line. His speed off the line is concerned to me though because he used to be so good at it, and it's it's just gone from his game. 
Um, but his distribution is a problem. I mean, I'd well. pay I'd pay good money to to hire Pep Guardiola and just watch him on his first training session pack Larissa's and Joe Hart's bags and Gazaniga's <laughs> and send all three of them home and just like don't come back. He, that's what that's what he would do. Larissa is not fit for. Larissa is fine if you're going to sit back and play deep and you expect him to make shot uh, save some shots. But yeah, I, he won't be. He can't be the next manager we get. The first thing we need to do is sign a goalkeeper and over a centre back, in my opinion. I think that's harsh. Personally, I think he's better than better than that. He's on the decline, and he is um, not just reducing in quality, but yeah, as, as you point out, reducing in sort of the the spectrum of his play. Is that he used to be sort of synonymous with sweeping, yeah, and now he may not leave his six yard box under any conditions. Um, I, I acknowledge that, but I think he's he's declining from a very high place. He's still one of the best shot stoppers in the world. Um, so to trade out, you know, um, the fifth best keeper in the world for the second best keeper in the world probably doesn't change an enormous amount for us. Yeah, yeah. I also just think if we played a possession-based style that didn't didn't mean so if we had more of the ball and the opposition had less of the ball and created fewer sort of crossing opportunities, it would reduce Luis's exposure to this stuff. You know, if he's just being asked to to save shots from range more often, that's that's much better for him um boys i'm going to ask you a question now um we we have a question here from cole for cd mole who's another of our favorite x subs mm. uh do you want me to ask this question or not is the question i'm going to ask let's do it let's do it yeah well, if anyone's it. listening this far they're emotionally prepared for this question i think good point okay here's what cole says how bad would things have to get for Mourinho to get the sack i don't think that it happens until the summer I think if we lost the season out, um, okay, if we lose six in a row, fair enough. But I think if we just have poor, poor results and we slide down to mid-table and we we lose, the, I think probably, stupidly, uh, the League Cup final has far too much waiting in the future of Jose Mourinho, but there you go. Hmm. Um, but I think he pretty much gets the season no matter what. Um how bad will things have to have gone? I think, yeah, I think we would have had to lose the League Cup final and I think that we would have to be sixth or lower um, other than that. Or maybe something like a big falling out with Harry Kane and the rest of the players or whatever, things like that. But otherwise, um, yeah. Uh, and even then, I, I, I'm I, ready for him to go. <laughs> I think everyone knows that. But um, I don't think Levy will be in such a rush and I think that we may have a third season with Mourinho still. Body, what do you think? Um, while we're still in contention for the top four, Mourinho doesn't go anywhere. Um, if we finish top four and win the League Cup, Mourinho will say this is a fantastic season and mm. Daniel, Daniel Levy will be happy with that. There, I think at the start of the season, I would have been happy with that. I would have taken that. And I'm pretty sure all of us here would have taken a League Cup and top four. Sure. Because that top, yep. top four is... is and, Whilst that's still a possibility, he doesn't go anywhere. I think if we do a Pochettino slide down the table and top four is out of contention, then I think he goes, but he's going to be really expensive to fire. The best the best situation would be, I think I said this before, the best situation would be we finish top four, win a trophy, Portugal change their manager and Mourinho <laughs> walks away a hero for giving Tottenham a trophy. For me, that would be, you know, walking into the sunset 
I would be he would be remain my manager because he got us a cup after so many years and we got top four back and then very happy now let's do a project and then we can flip the table and it can be me versus you two when the the next laptop manager starts messing up <laughs> when when your hero um, Ralph starts starts um, losing us games in the last minute we lose nine nil. <laughs> <laughs> Lose nine nil to Jamie Vardy's Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll be in Jamie, the dark days. Jamie Vardy like running Eric Dyer ragged oh. for ninety minutes. Oh God, Jamie Hugo Lloris, Hugo, Toby, and Eric Dyer, Matt Doherty, and Ben Davies because Reggion's fucked off back to Real Madrid. Those five trying to play a high line is going to be chaos, man. So I, I think I, I think I agree with you both that Levy won't be rushing to pull the trigger. I think um, I think Abramovich would have done. Sure. I think Abramovich might have sacked Mourinho twice. by now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, like I feel like Mourinho this year has, has not done any any better than, than Frank Lampard did at Chelsea. Um, and I, I still think... I still think what Mourinho Mourinho's doing okay. If we win our game in hand, we go to thirty six points with one point with point we're point off Liverpool. We're not doing too bad. It's had a bit of a wobble. Um it, the next month I think the next month will be key to Tottenham. What we do in the next month. We've got some games coming up that we need to we need to start winning. If we go on if we go on and if we don't win our next four games, then I think he's fired. But I, I think we'll turn this around. I really don't. I re- I think honestly, I I know I'm I know I'm a I'm very in a very pessimistic place with Spurs, but I honestly think we plummet like a stone now. I think we, you know, Kane being injured, <laughs> we're yeah. so reliant on Harry Kane. So and it's, on Kane. It's, we're also this really... team is set up for Kane and Son. There's no there's no other. I mean, Ndombele is wonderful. He's amazing, but without Kane, this team is nothing. Mm. But we're so reliant on Harry Kane and Hume Song because we haven't seen anything else other than Harry Kane and Hume Song. We haven't seen Bale. We haven't seen Vinicius. And I'm not saying they're better players because they're not. But sometimes, sometimes people are galvanised. Son is quite often, more often than not, galvanised when Kane's not there. Perhaps Son, Vinicius, and Bale pull something together. Perhaps now Deli Ali's got no option. He can't play Lamella. He can't play anyone else. Deli Ali's not leaving anywhere now. Mourinho's got no option like he did with Endombele but to turn to Delhi and maybe Delhi rescues him. You never know. I still mm. think there's I still think there's legs in this team. We're not in the situation we were last year when we lost Kane and Son. There's still some talent in this squad that hopefully they can they can eke something out. I'm going to ask you one more question and then we're going to wrap up because this was you know just meant to be a hmm. uh, a quick reaction pod and we've we've already dragged it out longer than I expected. Um, so I was I was talking uh, via WhatsApp last night to my friend Aaron Aaron Moore, um, and he he raised a really interesting point around how football was being digested at the moment in in lockdown times. And he said it, for him it's things have felt a bit unhealthy and people are behaving in ways that they don't necessarily mean, but they're antagonising their friends via WhatsApp. And you know, Bardi, we we've sort of seen this in our fighting cock WhatsApp group where. Mm. You know, we're not, we're, I wouldn't say antagonising is the right word, but we're, we're kind of winding up one another up. Not you and mm. I necessarily, but mm-hmm. Alex from Bristol and I are, are very down on Mourinho. Uh, Ricky and you are very up on Mourinho. Um, T is somewhere in the middle. Flav is like trying to just hmm. enjoy the moments he can, and and he gets annoyed when he he reads the negativity from Alex and I. I, I know, and I I completely get it. I I need to change my behaviour, but. There's a point here, isn't there, about this time, this like the way we're all watching football in this, in it's very the matches yep. are all so close together. Um we're we're not in the pub watching them together, we're not at the ground watching them together. 
it's quite unhealthy, isn't it? it? Doesn't it feels strange? It feels like it's putting a lot of pressure on friendships. I th- I think so as well because because we're all sat in front of a TV or sat in front of a computer. I Twitter's a lot busier than than it normally is. I know for sure I wouldn't be on Twitter during the game. I I would go back and catch up, see what happened later on. But everybody is almost mini blogging the game as it goes yeah. along. So yeah, it's different, and you're you're left with. Yeah, the whole experience of watching football right now is, is different and it, it's having an effect. And when it's almost you're, you're detaching yourself from the game because you can just like get up and just walk away from it. And yeah, I, I think this, this is, this is weird football that we're seeing at the moment. Not just, and I think it's, we're seeing other clubs being affected by this as well, other supporter bases. But yeah, it would just, just make the whole pandemic better if Tottenham won matches. Mm. Fix coronavirus by winning games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nathan, obviously you you felt for some time a similar disconnect to to me. Um, how how's that how's that treating you now? <laughs> uh, I do wonder. I mean, I, I I'm pretty okay, sure. Okay, if you didn't have a Spurs podcast, would you still be watching the matches? Uh, I would have them on. I don't know if I would be paying much attention, you know. Yeah, I, I, my, my only concern is, um, will I have a slightly hard time getting it back? And I think that I won't. I think that as soon as there's, you, a, you really won't. Yeah, as soon as there's a new project to get attached to, I'll be a fanatic again. Um, so that's fine, basically. In terms of like uh, texting rather than chatting over a beer, yeah, <clears throat> I think we are all. Um, a lot more aggressive in written form than 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 face to face. Um, one thing, uh, maybe this is just only relevant to me and you, <laughs> but like uh, with eighteen thousand something Twitter followers and my tendency to tweet sort of um, aggravating <laughs> stuff, I get a lot of replies from like Jose Mourinho fanboys with their Mourinho avatar that weren't Spurs fans before he came to Spurs and that kind of stuff and I get nonsense from them and I pride myself on my my handling of them by my my uh, you know my replies um but I think that like sometimes just genuine Spurs fans get sort of caught up in the crossfire of me just, you know, <laughs> handing out beef. <laughs> so I do, I do worry that I've, I've, I've gone slightly too far in that sort of uh, antagonistic, you know, kind of fuck offness <laughs> in the way yeah. that I talk to people on Twitter sometimes. That's a really, really good point, and, and I think it's something that I need to be wary of as well because if you, if you've just come off Twitter where you've had like. 25 replies of people just being aggressively pro Mourinho yeah. and then you go into a conversation with someone who you know if I go into a conversation with Bardi after that yeah like Bardi's gonna get a lot worse treatment than he deserves yeah it's yeah. a really good point I'm glad you're admitting I'm your punch bag Wendy I'm glad you're you're telling everybody <laughs> that that's my role here you take it so well yeah, I, 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 it takes a lot to, to vex me. That was very cathartic. Um, thanks for the chat, guys. That was excellent stuff. And we'll be back next week. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.